Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Homo Sapiens listeners. This is a little extra treat for you all. We've done a special episode teaming up with the podcast Talk Art, which is a brilliant podcast about art hosted by Russell Tovey and Robert Diamond. So we've done a Homo Sapiens meets Talk Art episode where we kind of fuse the two things and the topic is basically queer art. If you haven't listened to Talk Art before, it's really popular. They talk to all different sorts of people about art, like they've talked to Stephen Fry, Grayson Perry, Billy Porter, Tracy Emin. And the reason they started it was to demystify art. And I am all for that. So part one of the episode is over on Talk Art's feed. So go over there and have a listen. And part two is here on our feed. So you can listen to the entire episode if you straddle the two feeds. In the first part of our chat, we're all talking about the artists that have shaped and influenced us. So people like Madonna, David Hockney, Andy Warhol. This part on our feed is part two, where we're discussing the queer art movement and we discuss all the art that we have in our homes. Most of mine's from eBay. And we answer the famous talk art question, which is what piece of art would we steal in an art heist? We had so much fun recording this episode. So have a listen and check out all talk art's other episodes. They're brilliant. Who do you think the artists of today that are um, queer and, and having a big impact on culture? Hmm. Oh, that's such a good question. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> I don't know that I have the answer to that. But I was thinking about who I like now. And there's this guy called Liam Buckley who is not queer, but he came to my attention because he had a bit of a queer aesthetic that made me think of David Hockney. He's based in Hackney Wick. And he does these kind of very simple paintings that are very Hockney-esque of like, you oh, know, yeah, they're, two... cool. they're really cool, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I just think he's really interesting. It's actually very current, though, because this whole there's a big move at the moment for figuration. And it says that he's influenced by McDonald's, the Beatles and Picasso. I love that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, and it's kind of demystifying, really cool. you know, in, in the same way. Like, I always think people who are making art who are not indulging the more pretentious side of art just really interests me because it feels a bit more pure, you know? And there's this amazing guy on eBay who I think is probably deliberately hidden, but like he makes fakes of stuff on eBay. Um, I love that. And uh, like, so he'll <laughs> say like, um, this is a Jean, Jean Cocteau um, sketch and stuff. And it's so fucking clearly not one because it's three ninety nine, and two because there's four exactly the same. <laughs> but I sort of love it because I think there's something quite fun in playing with that 
the way that people will change their attitude to something based on where they think it's from. You yeah, know true. I mean? And be like, oh, goodness. It's, so, oh, it's like... Oh, um, it's so cocktail. There's a... It's, I think that's such an interesting thing because I've got an Andy Warhol, Marilyn. And the thing is, it's the, the man who was... Do you know the story about the man who was the uh, screen printer for Andy Warhol? Like, yeah. after he no. after Andy Warhol died, he still made some. Like, he churned a few out for a bit of extra mm. cash. One of which is one of the ones I've got. So What? And claiming they were made within his lifetime, or did he name them after Andy Warhol? Um, I'm not sure if he. I'm not sure if he if he fessed up or it was discovered later. Or, but it's sort of the thing. It's, he's basically saying they're the same things because they're the same screen prints that came from this thing, and he's the man who oversaw it. But he but he sold some uh, after. You know, I mean, he kept. I guess they were just sort of lying around, and uh, and so it's an interesting thing. So it technically, is a Warhol. Of course, because Andy Warhol wow. designed the whole thing, but actually, it's not sort of sanctioned as the proper one. It still is a little bit, but there's a sort of you know that kind of. Well, you guys, I'm sure, know that sort of artistic hierarchy slash snobbery in terms of whatever, when, and, and what, what uh, the provenance yeah. of certain artworks yeah. and all that stuff. So I just think it's really interesting though, because I it's so ridiculous. I've actually got an Andy Warhol, it's a Marilyn, in my study mm. in the city, and I got it. Interesting, I got it in. Um, What's that place called? Kansas City. Uh, Athena. It was on an auction yeah. for the opening of an LGBT, the first ever LGBT center in Kansas City, opened by wow. that country and Western star uh, who got sort of totally shut down when she came out. Um, I can't remember her name right now, but uh, that was I bought that at that auction. Boys, you asked us about <laughs> queer artists in the future, but who for you are those people? Well, I think, well, there's a whole yeah, there's a whole group of queer art art movement that's happening in in New York and Brooklyn and but th- there's someone when I was thinking about this earlier and I thought there's someone who's really done something incredible is Kahindi Wiley who was a the first man of color black man to ever paint a presidential portrait but also he's openly gay so historically to be chosen to paint that portrait of uh, Barack Obama when Amy Sherrill did the one of Michelle Obama. It's uh, that was a massive moment in you know art history, queer history, black history for for him to have done that. I'm just looking now. Incredible. He, he he he's also just done a public sculpture of a young black man in sort of Nike trainers sitting on the back of a horse that they put into Times Square, and it's now gone to. Oh, I want to say Chicago, but I can't quite remember. But um, it's gone to like a Confederate kind of um what do you call it? Like next to all the Confederate statues. So it's this kind of contemporary sculpture that's now going to be, you know, alongside all the ones from history. So it's a really important sculpture that he's made. Yeah. But we've been doing so much research on all this and there's lots of um, incredible like photographers that uh, there's a lesbian photographer, proudly lesbian photographer, Catherine Opie, who actually one of her favorite images of mine is of Justin Vivian Bond. Have you seen this image where they're, they're facing out looking at us and it's a very bold, a brightly coloured background. And there was a series of them. And Catherine Opie is very proudly uh, lesbian. And she really kept, catches uh, like the whole very um, butch lesbian community and the lesbian bikers. And then she really is heavily involved in kind of archiving and showing all the different sides of what it is to be queer and margins within the margins. She's a really, really important 
queer photographer, but I just when I saw that you know you interviewed Justin Bieber Bond, I was like, yeah, this this is a really good person for you guys to be aware wow. of and for listeners to be aware of. Actually, Justin's doing these great things right now. You know, she paints as well, and uh, she has done various sort of art, art projects actually. But she's doing a thing right now where she does eyes all these different people's eyes are little watercolours and they're really mesmerising. She's having an exhibition in um, Provincetown, but she's been showing them in her um, on her Instagram. But they're just oh, little watercolours of eyes, but they are, are so, so incredibly capture a person that you that you know. They're usually famous people that you know. Yeah. She, again, is an yeah, amazing she's an incredible performer. activist, trailblazer, performer, everything. Just like really important. Yeah. And also there's, there's a, a painter called Louis Rettino who's incredible. And then Dor- Doron Lamberg. There's a whole like gang. We've actually interviewed a Sam few of them Tor. on our show. Sam and yeah. Tor, yeah. And actually I was wrong. It was Richmond, Virginia, which is where um, Kahinda Wiley's sculpture is, not Chicago. I've just checked because yeah. I don't like to be th- get things wrong. No, you don't. What, what do you both live with? Do you, do, you, do you live with artworks or postcards or posters or anything that you love? Yeah, I've got stuff around the house. Like I was thinking about how... I went to this house, like um, this junk shop in somewhere like near my parents' house out near like Hampton. And they, I went in and there was this amazing painting on the wall that was like a really simple landscape done in like, they'd represented like the cliffs of Dover maybe with three shapes and it was beautiful. And I remember I bought that painting and it was by this guy where they'd emptied his whole house. And he was obviously just a sort of, artist for fun and they were selling all his furniture and stuff and I got the chair that actually I'm sitting on from his house as well but I wish I'd bought more because it's the most incredible painting that people always comment on and there were two there and I was like oh maybe I should get both but I didn't what else have I got the I've got one of the so you know that guy who fakes thing on the eBay he did one of um yeah Roberto Chilida do you know him so he did a fake one of those. So no. I have one of those. No, I don't sell. I don't tell people it's real. And there's this amazing magazine called Derriere Le Miroir. Have you ever heard of that? No. So it's like a French magazine from the 70s. And they used to get really amazing artists like Raoul Ubach and um, Chilida as well. From a Calder title. Because I think, that, I think the title Derriere Le, Le Miroir is actually Alexander from a... Alexander Calder. From an Alexander Calder. Oh. Um, okay maybe that's it well they used to get incredible artists to do a centerfold each week in their thing so you'd get an amazing piece of art but for a really small amount of money so that was kind of my route into how I could find get works of people I loved but obviously I couldn't afford the real thing so I've got loads of things like that around the house that's that's a that's interesting there's a a thing like um that that um my friend Cynthia Rowley and, and Bill Powers. He's got a gallery called the Half Gallery. Yeah, I love that. Mm. In yeah, New York. Yeah, yeah. They have a thing, a sort of an online thing. What's it called? Where you, they would do sort of small, small collections. Or what, you don't call it collections. Yeah, they, 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 they make prints, don't they? Mm. They sell prints, I think. Yes, but limited editions of, of, by really interesting people. Yeah, exactly. I've got one by, um, oh, what's his name, who, just, who lived in the Chelsea Hotel and died. Uh, well, you know. Robert Maplethorpe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got a, no. Anyway, I really love that idea of actually people thinking, oh, let's make something that's more. It's like when those designers do collections for, um, what was that? H&M. Do you remember they did a series of uh, collections with like yes. Margiela yeah, and yeah, yeah. Versace and stuff and like that. And I really loved that. I thought, yeah. 
everyone was like fighting in the aisles. Yeah, people were like, yeah, like punching each other. The artist I worked with, Catherine Bernhardt, (laughs) she made a functional like beanbag chair that you can sit on with one of her paintings on it for that company. I know what it was called. It was called Exhibition A. Do you know, um, do you know my friend David Renfrey? Yes, I know David Renfrey. They used to live in the Chelsea and, and he painted me a few times and actually did a, he did, I've got in our house a really beautiful, uh, sort of huge watercolour of um, me and my dog, Honey, the, uh, the, my dog who died. And um, David painted her a lot, actually, in this very house. He said that, you know, we'd have these big party weekends and he would get, he'd be the only one up and Honey, the two of them would sort of spend time together in the mornings while we were all hung over. And so he did all these sketches and all these um, paintings of her. And um, he wrote a book about people and their dogs. It was just beautiful. And he does these amazing things of dancers. And he had to, he used to um, paint me in the, in the Chelsea Hotel. And I loved it because it was sort of like going to therapy. He talked, just chatted to you and you just chatted about stuff for hours whilst he painted or sketched. Yeah, but the history of that hotel as well. I mean, that's incredible. Oh, incredible. Yeah, really incredible. I mean, it's so, it's so weird now because the awful thing is I think the money ran out for the hotel. So it's just sort of standing there now. Yeah, it is. Whoa. Scaffolding all over it. Yeah. I just remember reading Patty Smith's book, Just Kids, about her and Robert Maplethorpe. And... Yes. We had Patty on our podcast. Yeah, it was amazing. I love yes. that interview. She was talking about that being at the Chelsea. Yeah, and interesting how she was, a, a you know, she was almost like she encouraged Robert not to work so he could pursue his art and she would work yeah. for the pair of them and the way that they supported exactly. each other as artists was incredible and the, she, and paying the rent on time paying the rent on time <laughs> I just, what, the thing that i loved about her and alan you obviously know her really well but like i'd never met her before but the fact that she is so you know she's so allegedly cool you know she embodies all these things that people perceive as cool but actually she was the one paying the bills she is uh you know she wanted to support Robert she went and she had a proper job and she's really candid about things like she said because she did that massive song with what's his name massive American artist the one that made Bruce Springsteen with Bruce Springsteen and she yeah and she said oh you know I'd love to write songs like Bruce Springsteen I just can't you know, she's her candor and unpretentiousness is it was amazing. It was it was incredible to hear about those times with her and Robert just living in this tiny room. It's amazing. It was also interesting the the idea of like um the fact they were a couple and then how he was gay but he, he couldn't sort of, you know, be that at that time. Well, but then really yeah, we were talking about that, weren't we? Because then maybe he was yeah. bisexual and And she said that amazing thing that she she said that she in those days there wasn't really um, the, the the notion that someone who seemed straight could be gay yeah, wasn't exactly. really a thing. Yeah. And so she kept saying, you know, she goes, you know, Robert, he was just like a guy at high school. Yeah. That's what she kept saying, and I, was, I didn't quite understand what it meant. And then she explained to me that that that, that gay men in those days would be either either hidden to completely closeted or or big flaming flamboyant sort of uh, you know stereotypes. I guess you had to show that to sort of make people understand or, but the idea of the sort of straight acting as that crazy mm. phrase is that didn't exist no. in those days. Yeah. It's so true, isn't it? I was remembering a story about New York just because we were talking about it. We had, um, Nikki Haslam came on the podcast and he was talking about living in New York around the Warhol times. He claimed that he discovered Andy Warhol. Well, actually, sorry. I'll, no. We didn't help his hair out, did he? He was in wigs the whole time. He didn't do him any favours. <laughs> Andy Warhol actually says that Nicky discovered him in his autobiography. So, um, but really? he, really? yeah, and um, maybe that's where the fright wig came maybe. from. Maybe. 
But uh, he employed Andy as an illustrator on Vogue. So he used to get Andy to do all these drawings. Oh. That was one of Andy's first gigs. And Nikki said that the amount of Warhols they used to just sweep up off the desk and throw in the bin every week. Oh, my God. Oh my God. It's just chilling. Yeah, because he, he used to paint, like, shoes and jewellery. and Yes, things, didn't he? Like, all the fashion stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. We, of course, Russell, I don't know if you remember... We met in the in we Russell and I met in a bathhouse. History boys. No, we met in a bathhouse. Well, it wasn't Did no. You? It was actually the Russian the Russian uh The Russian spa. bath. So it yeah. wasn't it wasn't it's the bathhouse as... that was like dim, dimly lit in a, and it's predominantly for a homosexual crowd. This was a very mixed community, Alan, before rumors. But we did meet in we did meet in we did meet in our towels. We did meet in our towels, that's true. That's true. And then we hung out. Yeah, I was doing the History Isn't Boys. Funny? We hung out loads. And I, yes. I met your uh, your minder, Carmine, who was a very nice man. Carmine. And oh, I know. Darling. We went to oh, Broadway is, Bears together. That's right. And then I remember... Broadway Bears? Oh, it's a great thing. It's a sort of a, a fundraiser that Broadway Cares Equity Fights Aids, this great uh, sort of organisation that raises all this money. And they have a thing called Broadway Bears once a year where it's basically this, huge, this evening of all these dance routines... There's a theme every year, but basically all these stunning people basically take their clothes off. In underwear. It's just, it's incredible. I went on in gold lame underwear at the end and I remember I was dancing on stage and they put like dollar bills in your knickknacks yeah. just to like raise money yes. for charity. And this guy put his finger up my bum. And I remember feeling like, oh, what <laughs> time? Like, oh, okay. Coming. But then he put $20. Yeah. yeah. yeah I hope that was <laughs> $20. $20 oh. in my like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's like, whoa, I'm an actor. I'm I know, it's super intense. That. Yeah, but they do that thing, it's called rotation or something, and you, everyone goes out, and you basically just dance, and people, and you're like, a, yeah. it's like being, you're being a go-go boy or a girl, and you go out, and it's, yeah. and you just, people put money in you, and they stuff it down yeah. your uh, jockstrap or whatever you're wearing. I think it's a very interesting and salutary experience to go through. I, I'll change my life. It sounds like a sort of fraternity, <laughs> oh like frat party initiation ceremony. <laughs> initiation or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that called hazing? And backstage is such fun because everybody's getting painted and glittered and all these funny colours and everything like that. I took some great photos backstage. It's such an amazing... I, I wonder if you f- agree with this, uh, Russell Tovey, that um, compared to working in the West End, the, the sense of community and sort of... Of, of sort of 100%. warmth and sort of friendship between the companies in Broadway is incredibly different, isn't it? But do you know what? Do you know what I put that down to is that we don't we have theatre here, but we don't have a theatre community. We don't have the place where everyone hangs out. You do a play here, you go home. No one really knows what yes. everyone else is doing. Whereas in New York, they know everything. Then they they and what it is is that there is such a fan base for Broadway parenthesis that people will go and see the shows that have been panned, and they will go and see the shows that are the hits, so they can talk about it at dinner. And the right. whole feeling yeah. of community there, I think, comes from, again, going back to it, the AIDS epidemic and the fact that the, the community was so brought together from all over America or from all over the world and they were brought to this little town, this little community, and it was decimated and everyone clubbed together and you had Broadway fights AIDS, Broadway cares, equity, equity fights yeah. AIDS. You had all these, all these people rallying and rallying and... and um, and and 
creating these supportive networks for all of these people that it created this really strong, solid, loyal community to each other. And I was working with this producer recently who told me this story and he was working in casting during the whole AIDS epidemic. And the tragedy was is that they would be checking dancers uh, and actors for roles in chorus line of separate shows and it would come back and say, oh, he's visiting family. Oh, he's gone away for the summer. And they were all oh. euphemisms for he's gone home to die, he's gone away, he's, he's dying. And, and everybody oh, knew so what funny. they were, but no one was like, he's got AIDS, he's dying. But it's like, gone to visit family, would come back from the yeah. agent. And you're like, that is, I'm saying it now, I've got like goosebumps. That was it's an unbearable euphemism to get back. And he said it yeah. was just like, it yeah. just ripped through. And we had that definitely in the UK, but that sense of community, that sense, that's my dog growling over there. Sounds like the a sense of community, bike. the sense of like, <laughs> oh, that's a motorbike as well. He's on the motorbike now. Uh, <laughs> well. That sense of like, <laughs> yeah, that sense of just like activism feels like it really bound Broadway yeah. together. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And I, you know, it's so interesting because that when I was in, you know, you were doing your play in London and New York, and I was doing Endgame at the Old Vic, and I, I sort of felt that thing of like, where does everyone go? Where is everyone going? Where, what's happening afterwards? You know, where's that? And it just wasn't. I mean, I know London is a, an earlier town; it closes earlier, and I, so I had to make my peace with that. When you think about it, swinging London, but actually, who do you have to fuck to find a drink uh, after? midnight unless you go to one of those clubs i I think that's changed though i I think even in the early 2000s it was still a bit later because loads of the nightclubs are gone i I see i mean yes it's got it's got worse yeah so many queer and gay nightclubs have gone and that's they're the ones that used to be open yeah the queer spaces yeah yeah so robert do you feel like that moving to margate is the new east london and there is a queer bubble down there of I think it's slightly different in the sense that, I mean, it, people do call it Shoreditch by the Sea and all that. But the truth is, I think people, I, I don't think it's going to become like Hackney did in the regeneration sense, only because it is just that tiny bit too far away for people to commute from, if you know what I mean. But I think the thing that I have found is a community here of a lot of queer people have moved here. And there is a community which I've never experienced in my life, which is super, super special. And, you know, Margate Pride was just incredible because even though we weren't allowed to do the march due to COVID, we still had this kind of like big um, collaboration between everyone. So there was a photographer here called Elisa who photographed 
maybe like 45 people in a week, um, you know, all queer people. And then they put them up in windows around the town. And then it became a kind of walk that all the visitors like did to, you know, to sort of still celebrate pride. And there were lots of initiatives like that. But the nice thing is the young kids, because there's loads of kids here who have gay parents and they're all growing up, you know, celebrating pride from the age of like three, four, five. And there was a big sort of family event on, on Saturday in one of the bandstands kind of outdoors and they had to limit numbers and all that stuff but you know it was just so sweet to see all these kids like dancing and celebrating and I don't know and the rainbow and it it was it, it felt really sweet actually so I, I really like living here I feel very like I can be myself and I loved it when I went for Christmas I just thought it was such I love that kind of mixture of uh, you know it's why I used to like living in Islington in sort of the late 90s I really liked that mixture of socio-economic and racial groups and I felt that's what Margate felt mm. to me t- for me too it was like a and a great sort of sense of community I really really enjoyed myself and actually your days. your visit your visit was like talk of the town so many people told <laughs> me that they saw you or that heard that they saw you that's and then you so ended nice. up in the local newspaper it was very sweet so we were yes. very proud to have you here <laughs> and actually weren't Christopher weren't weren't you filming in Kent yes because I loved your tv show back to life that oh, you were the isn't director it great and didn't you film that like down the road yeah we filmed it in Dungeness and Hythe and we because I made it so the writer and star was Daisy Haggard Haggard and um she you know her and I sat down and she was like it was a show for BBC three which they don't have a lot of money to spend and she was like I want to make like an American indie movie like Winter's Bone and I was like interesting for (laughs) 12 quid and we're gonna have to shoot it within the M25 and then I was like Actually, you know, there is Dungeness, like that kind of looks like Outback America. And if we could persuade everyone to go down there to film, you get those kind of open vistas like in an American indie movie. So we went and shot stuff there and then we sort of based a few bits. We found Hythe looks like suburbia but is on the sea. So it's not that kind of cute idea of seaside. It's like suburban semis on the beach. Um, and I was mm. like, well, that looks a little bit like Streatham. So if we filmed most of it's it, it's quite Stratum, it's quite similar to to Palm Palm Bay here, really, and even Westgate and places like that. Yeah. And when I saw that show, I was just moving to Margate, mm. or it was around that time. I think I think I was still living half in London, half here. And um, I remember watching it, and I felt like I was sort of learning about Kent through your show. Oh, as well. It was quite strange because there were really beautiful shots of. Um, and it made me think a bit of Derek Jarman too, because of Dungeness. Yeah, because we so we got like free pass to f- film on um, the Dungeness estate where you're allowed behind the gates and stuff. And we saw Derek Jarman's house and things. And that's when they were just beginning the campaign to save the house and the garden, which is done. And actually, he amazingly. he was another one, wasn't he? Because in the eighties, I think I learned so much about art through the Pet Shop Boys music videos. Do you know what I mean? That like, that he made, you know, before I saw his actual films and read the book and all those things. But like, I don't know, I think he was so important and the whole channel Four like culture of the eighties. But I loved Eric Jarman. Did they, they, they saved his, they saved his house, didn't they though? Yeah, they be. got it in the end. Yes, sure. they did. Yes. Prospect Cottage. Thank yeah. God. Yes. Prospect Cottage. Yeah. yeah, it's stunning. That garden. You talking about Islington, Alan? Did you yes. ever go and stand outside Joe Walton and uh-huh. Kenneth Halliwell's house on Knoll Road? Yes, yes, I did. But they've got that a blue a plaque up there, and I was—I find myself just standing opposite, just staring up, thinking, "Wow, what happened in that little flat?" 
Do you, do you guys know the story of that? What went on? You also dragged me there, Russell. And when you told me the story, which he'll do right now, I was kind of appalled. I was like, "Well, what? no." Well, Joe, Joe Orton and Kenneth Halliwell met a, met a college, and they were like, um, <laughs> they they became lovers, but they never told anyone that they were lovers, and they shared this little flat. And what they did was they had this shared passion for collage, and they loved collage, and they would go to a local library, and I think there's one in Archway and one in Holloway, and they would take books from there they would take pages out of the books and they would also deface them with different descriptions of what the book was about so then in the background it'd be like a, an, a book by Roald Dahl for example and they would write something else that wasn't not Roald Dahl it's a bit later but written by um I don't know Rajar Kipling and then they would they would write something else on the back to the jungle book that was quite um innuendo and sexuality in it so people would then get these books off the shelf and walk to the front and be like what the hell is this and they would deface the front but the images they took from the inside they collage the inside of the flat completely in all these photographic things from all these books that they tore the pages out of, which they then got caught for, sent to prison for six months each, separate prisons. In prison, Joe Orton completely thrived at the time of his life, loved it, came out inspired. Kenneth Halliwell got completely broken in prison, came out a completely different person. They came out, Joe Orton became... Uh, a superstar comedy theatre writer, Kenneth Halliwell became this struggling, very embittered actor who was at home. And then there was at one point where Joe was about to go and meet the Beatles because he was going to go and shoot a movie for the Beatles and and write the script for them. And Kenneth Halliwell had a, a moment of rage and bludgeoned him to death with his Evening Standard Award. And they were there and then killed himself. And it wasn't until the driver arrived the next morning to come up and pick up Joe Orton that they realised that this had all gone on in this little flat. And this whole kind of like... It was, it was that bit where I was like, what? When I heard He killed him with his Evening Standard Award. Yes, yes. Yeah, seriously, he there's a film him. in this. I think you two need to play it. <laughs> there is a film. There is. There's a great yeah. film Alan with... Cumming and Russell Tovey. <laughs> I'd be Alfred Molina and you'd be um, Gary Oldman. Love Gary Oldman. Chris, how did you start making films and things? Because I, I never, I never realised you were a film director until I saw um, Back to Life. How did I start? I started by, I started out as a music video director, and I did lots of music videos, which is how I met Will Young actually, and then because I directed lots of his videos. Um, and then that's how we started this podcast, in fact. And that's actually how I met you, Russell. Do you remember? We met with Will yep. once. You came to my office when we were doing a video where Will was going to be a pregnant man and we had to do this fitting for Will to have a pregnant belly put on, which was deeply strange. Not for the pregnancy, really. Just the whole thing was strange. Um, what, why, were, why were you there, Russ? Were you in the video? No, no. I mean, Will used to hang out for a while. We were mates for a while, yes. Yeah, so I did lots of music videos and then... Because of that, I I did lots of videos for Lily Allen and they were sort of funny. So then I got asked to do comedy stuff, which is how I ended up doing Back to Life. So and I always wanted to go that way anyway. My dad was a fashion photographer, so I, I sort of, I liked visual things, but I knew I wanted to tell stories. So that's how I ended up there. And the rest is history. Amazing. Mm. We ask every guest that comes on, if we can do the talk art, normalities, is that... If you could do an art heist, if you two could own any work of art in the world from any museum or anybody's collection, what would it be and why? I would, I would steal the Jeff Koons dog. You know, the big, enormous uh, Scotty uh, West Highland Terrier, the puppy. But the puppy. I would steal that. Because yeah. oh. I saw it, first of all, 
Covered in flowers. Covered in flowers. Covered in flowers. I saw it at the Guggenheim in Bilbao, like years, decades. Where is it now? Is it, it's not permanently there, is it? No. I think that's where it was first I done think for. I there's a few of them in different oh, are there? places. Oh, yeah. oh, well, I don't want it so much now then. Yes. Yeah. But it's massive. <laughs> it's an addition like, maybe of three. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, because I, I I, there's a place, as I look out onto this meadow that I'm looking out on, my trampoline is on my, one side and there's sort of a... Anthony, who cuts our grass, he, 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 he does this sort of two circles, one for the trampoline and another circle as though there's going to be something else and then a path up the thing. So it looks like a cock and two gigantic balls I look out on. And I have always wanted to get something that, to go in that second circle opposite the trampoline and Jeff Coons, one of Jeff Coons' puppies would be absolutely fabulous. I worked, I worked with, um, with the print company called Counter Editions and we made a print with Jürgen Teller, which details that puppy, but it has Stephanie Seymour like reclining um, just on the top of its head. So <laughs> she's like all the way up on this giant yeah. puppy. And that could be you, Alan. Like, you could just <laughs> right. recline. It'd be I so glamorous recline on <laughs> when top it's of in my full puppy. bloom. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. I would... <laughs> That's sexual. What about you, Christopher? I think... If I had to do a heist of something, it would probably be there's on eBay, there's someone who sells Chilida paintings. Well, like real ones. And there's one I want. I love the fact that you buy your art from <laughs> eBay. That is like your go-to art, I know. <laughs> art but place. They, but there's, they're probably like, it would be hysterical for you two to have a look because you'd be like, uh, this person is not a real seller, don't touch it. But um, there's <laughs> one on there that's really expensive and I would steal that so that I could have it rather than it sitting in my watch list. Very nice. Is it expensive? I think it's about 12 grand. Oh, wow. That is expensive. Okay. Oh, right, okay. Why yeah. is he selling don't it on eBay? Of that's crazy. How interesting. Well, it's weird, isn't it? I maybe don't know. Maybe he doesn't realise that he could get... Maybe it's worth more than that. I want to look into this. Do you think? Maybe, maybe it's, it's a fake. That's true. Or maybe it's no provenance. I mean, so if it says after, me. if you have the word after before any of the artworks, it means it was made after the artist's lifetime or they can't accredit oh, yeah. it to the artist. Yeah. They have to call it after, even though it may be the artist, but there's no provenance See, for it. See, this is why it's my, good we had this conversation. When I was growing up, my mum had a... My mum had a Lowry in our house that was a painting that obviously wasn't real, but it was made... I just found out the other day, it's made by a 95-year-old like woman in Reading. I mean, I love her. Who was she? She liked a really good laugh. There's a movie there. That's another part for you, Alan. <laughs> you two could team up on this. <laughs> right. I'm all over it. I'm going to buy the rights. <laughs> um, the, other, the other question we ask every guest on Talk Art is, um, what is your favourite colour? Oh. Yellow. Oh, that's nice. How comes? Do you know why? <laughs> that's nice. I love yellow walls. Every, every house I've had has yellow walls. A varying degrees. And I don't know, there's something I think about the way that yellow changes with light. And I think it's just really um, uplifting to me. I just really love that colour. I try, I have lots of yellow. Oh, your kitchen is yellow. If, if, if I have a choice to paint something, my kitchen's yellow. I just like yellow. It just makes me feel happy and I don't overthink it. You know who, who loved yellow is Claude Monet. His kitchen was yellow. Shut up. I went there and I always remember seeing it. And it was a really powerful experience to walk into a bright yellow kitchen. Yeah, I think it's in Giverny in France. Wow. I remember going from Paris to there. And I think you can travel in a day or something. But if you love yellow, his kitchen's like really good. You should Google it. Wow. What about you, Christopher? What's your favourite colour? <laughs> Mine would have to be green. I think green is, I like the feeling of the soothingness. I love to be around my sitting room is green, like a sort of dusty green. It makes me feel peaceful. It reminds me of nature. 
I love it. And I think you can... It well, can the be, walls are green. The walls are a dusty green. In my sitting room, yeah. Your sitting room's your living room. That's that. Everyone else's living yeah, room. I mean, either room. or. <laughs> or is it, is it separate to your living room? <laughs> no, just the one, Russell. Going back to Monet... He has a he had a balcony off the yellow kitchen or yellow lounge or something that was that not was green. No, yeah, when you opened when you opened the doors, the green would come in. So actually, it's Shut a Homo sapiens house. <laughs> Since this is a crossover episode, have you two ever been asked? And um, can you please give us your answers? I've got no idea, Rust. Have we been asked? I I want, and I don't even know if it exists, but my I, my, my fascinations and obsessions vary all the time. There's few consistencies, but the one that I really want is there's an artist mm-hmm. called Onkawara who did these date paintings. They're, whatever country of the world he was in, he would make a painting of the date and the day for, the, for his whole mm-hmm. career. That's all he did. And I want one for my date of birth. And I don't think there is one that exists. If there is one, it's probably looking about $3.5 million. They're so simple and clean and kind of perfect that that is something that i would covet that i don't even think exists Russell, i know a guy on ebay will do you one six nine <laughs> that's what i'm thinking though you know what i'm thinking well why not get a fake one give me your chillard <laughs> guy honey leave it with me yeah all right yeah Fourteen <laughs> for november 1981 there you go See if you can get that made up. That'd be the dream. Rob? Mine has always been the same, which is Frida Kahlo's My Birth, which is actually owned by Madonna. So Alan can help me with this one. And um, it's a really tragic birth for baby where the mother's died. But I've always found that painting to be like so incredibly powerful and it kind of was a big deal in my teenage years. And when I saw it on loan at Tate many years ago, it was um, really shocking because it was so tiny in real life. It was like really small and it wasn't mm. in my head. It was this giant thing mm. and it was actually... But also I'm obsessed with Faith Ringgold, who's an American, African-American artist. And she did a lot of kind of mosaics, I think in one of the stations, maybe in New York, in, in you know, one of the tube stations, maybe like 125th. And there's there's all these mosaics of people flying. But I couldn't steal that because it's obviously a... It'd be taking it away from the public, which has to be really. No. Mm. Steal from Madonna. Steal from Madonna before you steal from the public. <laughs> steal from Madonna <laughs> instead. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And color, what color wise? <laughs> yeah. yeah um, if you're asking colors as well, I guess I'm. I'm always gravitating to like a blue, but more like a a kind of grey blue or mm-hmm. a more slaty blue. Or I remember I went to. Uh, Donald Judd's house on Spring Street in Soho, New York, which is the most incredible tour. If you ever go to New York, just the minimalism of it, the, the colors of it, the way he painted the windows and the metalwork was in battleship gray. And it's beautiful. It's a bluey gray. And when I came back here, I had a paint maker because it was from uh, a brand in, in America, which you can't get here. And so I'm, I found the people here that could then get the coding to make these paints. It's very scientific. And I was able to get the paint made up that was in Donald Judd's house. And now I have it on certain doors and features in my house. So fancy. Thank love you. That. Mine is, um, mine is orange. Ah. Uh, I love the color orange. And, um, I've always been obsessed with it and I love wearing orange. It makes me feel super positive. I don't know if it's something to do with the way I look at things, but it literally invigorates Well, that's me. like, um, isn't it Harry Krishna's? Harry Krishna, is Harry Krishna's mm, with orange all the absolutely. time? Absolutely. Oh my God, am Buddhist I really Harry something? Krishna? There's a, I didn't know. There's a religion that's orange. Is the... Yeah, you're right. I think you're right. They do, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a really amazing Egon Sheila drawing where he was wearing an orange coat, which I really liked. Oh my God, talking of Egon Sheila. Oh no, it's not Egon Sheila, but just, just to... Just to wrap up our art art fest, I would just like to tell you something I did the other day. It's not Ishila, but it's 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 Monk. I made 
some nans the other day. I cooked some nans. Uh, first time ever. I just felt like nans. And I thought, I'm going to fucking have nans. I can do it. He means nan bread, not an old lady. Yeah, nan bread. <laughs> yes. Right, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm like, you cook, you cook some old ladies. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> Put them in the oven, yeah, like but, Hansel yeah. and Gretel with old people. Yeah. <laughs> but the the so you know when nans it sort of bubbles up and you have these little circles, in the when you get a nan it's got sort of little circles mm. of the darker circles yeah, and the yeah, other yeah. one. Well, like an air bubble. Yes, yes, air bubbles. But my air, my nan, this one of them looked like um, monks the scream. It's uncanny. No, it didn't. It, it did. Wow. I've seen it. It did. It, it did. You should look at my Instagram. It was absolutely incredible. This like the little face of the person sc- actually screaming in the scream. That's what my nan looked like. I st- and I've still got it. I haven't eaten it. I've kept it in a box. What if you gave that? If you if you call up Madonna and say, "I'll give you Monks <laughs> the Scream. I promise it's the real one. Just give me that Frida Kahlo <laughs> on an ambrose. You're not allowed to look at it when you give it to me. You just put it yeah. on the table, and I'll take my one. You take yours, and then call me if you there's think? any problems. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think it's fine. That would be we do a cold swap. I think I'm, I'll give it a go. Alan, it's a nan. It's been such a joy. Thank you so much. This has been absolutely lovely. This has been amazing. Thanks, guys. I love this. It's like having a foursome. What a lovely chat with two lovely boys. Is everyone now going to go and buy all my favourite art on eBay? I hope not. Anyway, if you haven't yet, go and listen to part one of our chat on the Talk Art podcast feed get it from wherever you get your podcast i think that's the thing we're supposed to say also while you're there why not subscribe they've got so many other brilliant episodes talk art is such a wicked podcast so proud to have done an episode with them what a joy hope you enjoyed listening let us know what you thought let us know who your queer art heroes are we love love hearing from you about all of this stuff loads of love and thanks for listening 